Are you interested in renewable technologies? What do you think about thinking inward and using present opportunities? How can we accept problems to improve them? Stay tuned for answers from Molly Muse. What is the future for cities? Do you want to learn more about them? Do you want to know how others think about them? Do you want to be part of the conversation that this is the right place? Welcome to What is the Future for Cities podcast. Today, I will interview Molly Muse, co-founder of iSTEM Co and renewable energy consultant. We will talk about her vision for the future of cities, cities accommodating technology, equity, open-mindedness, and many more. So let's start with a proper introduction. Dr. Morley Muse is a chemical, environmental, and renewable energy engineer with expertise in wastewater treatment. She has worked across academia, government, and industry, including in consulting and construction. As the co-founder of iSTEM Co., a research, consulting, and talent sourcing business that enables employment for women in STEM, Morley continues to encourage women, including women of color and women from cult backgrounds, to further their careers in STEM. iSTEM Co. was nominated as a finalist for the Women in Digital Awards and has recently launched Dair, a recruit tech platform that eliminates recruitment bias for women in STEM. Dair has also received recognition in STEM and won the Lift Women's Social Impact Award. And with that, Morley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. I highly appreciate your appearance on the podcast. Let's jump right in. What does the future of cities mean to you? Interesting question. I like to think of the future of cities in terms of sustainability. The Brothland Report defines sustainable development as the development that meets the needs of the future without hindering the needs of the present. Bit of background about me, right? So I did a bachelor's in chemical and environmental engineering. I went on to do a master's in sustainable power engineering, and I completed a PhD in environmental and water engineering, really renewable energy. My research focused on extracting microalgae from wastewater systems and converting that to through anaerobic digestion. So I'm really big on renewable energy, which is in so many ways, it's the future. And when you think about renewables and you think about sustainability, you start to think about how cities can be designed in the future to accommodate these technologies that we have in place. So the future of cities for me, I believe that when we start thinking about technology, thinking about how we can manage waste, then we also have to think about equity. We also have to look at it in terms of population. Global population is estimated to be 9 billion by 2050. When we think about migration and population density, you find that there are a lot more people migrating to the urban areas. And what does that really mean, even for our carbon footprint? What does it mean for climate change? What does it mean for the future of cities? You'll find that in Australia, take for example where we live, right? The average household maybe has two cars. And what does that even mean for our carbon footprint? Now, when you look at from that perspective, you find that more people moving to urban areas in most, let's say, third world countries, developing countries, that means that we would have more carbon emissions. So how do we think to manage that? How do we design our future cities to be able to cope with that? 
What about waste? How do we design our future cities to be able to cope with waste? What about water? Take, for example, most of our waters globally is salt water. I think we have just about 3% of fresh water available to us as humans for our consumption, because obviously we can't drink salt water. But when we think about the population growth and food, water, you find that we probably might have, we might not have enough resources to cater for the future population that we are going to have, right? These are very important points that we need to consider when we start thinking of future cities. Again, there are so many areas that we could touch base on, but for me, I think these are like some important points to note. For you, sustainability means, based on the Bratland report, creating sufficient resources to our generation without jeopardizing future generations. Exactly. And when we think about sustainability, it should be in every single area of our society, not just in energy. So, for example, besides my expertise in engineering, I noticed a big problem, right, which is the underrepresentation of women in science, tech, engineering, and maths. So I'm one of the board directors with Women in STEM Australia. I also sit on the board with the Australian Academy of Technological Sciences and Engineering, ATSI, on a unique program called Elevate STEM, which is really a government initiative, an Australian government initiative to drive and promote scholarships for women in STEM from undergrad to postgrad and even leadership, which is brilliant. But currently, if you look at the current statistics that we have, there are only 29% of women working in STEM in Australia. For engineers, this is according to the Australian STEM Workforce Report, it shows that there are about 15% of female engineers, although a different report shows 11.3%. But what's even more shocking is the fact that 56% of university qualified women in STEM are Australian women born overseas but they experience over four times higher unemployment rates. This has been informed by the Chief Scientist Report, Australian STEM Workforce Report, Chapter 15, it talks about women in STEM. Now, when we look at these issues from a sustainable development perspective, there is a huge gap. Now, we are addressing, in Australia, we are pushing for more girls to study STEM, which is brilliant. Last year, we had the Jobs and Skills Summit in Canberra, And there was an emphasis on the STEM skills shortage that we currently have in the country. And then, you know, there was also push to increase migration. But what was not discussed is the fact that a lot of migrant people, my work focuses on women, so I'll speak on that. A lot of migrant women have come in here with the STEM skills, but they can't get jobs. What are we doing about that? So for me, when I try to address this problem, I look at it from addressing issues simultaneously while having sustainable development as sustainability at the helm of it. So what does that mean? It means ensuring that more girls are pursuing STEM, not just girls, but boys too. Because if we only encourage the young girls and ignore the boys, there's also a problem with that. But then... At the current state of the problem, ensuring that there are policies that promote or increases the number of women working in STEM across Australia. For example, one of such policies that was implemented last year, which I really like, 
in construction. So what that does is to really encourage more women to get involved in construction as a career. The building equality policy, it's called. So we need those kind of reforms. We need those kind of for organizations to feel that mandates to be inclusive. Otherwise, things wouldn't change. Then, of course, we need to create for companies to be open-minded to absorb women into their businesses. Look, the thing is, most times when we talk about the underrepresentation of women in these areas, it almost seems like a charitable thing to do, which is really not. Because research shows that the Australian economy would improve by $25 billion if more women are supported into work. While we talk sustainability, I also like to talk about innovation. How do we link women, employment to innovation, sustainability, and the future of our cities? I take, for example, the story of Kodak and Nokia. What happened for those of us, the 80s, 90s kids? Pretty much, I think everyone, my first phone was a Nokia 3310. I was so proud of that phone. No one thought there ever would come a time where Nokia would go extinct, but it happened. And why did that happen? It happened because they refused to embrace the digital age, and then they refused to innovate then you refuse to embrace innovation. The same thing with Kodak. I'm sure as a kid, we all have one of those Kodak moments in our photo albums. But these guys refused to embrace the digital age and eventually that led to the company eventually lost profit. Now, there's a McKinsey study that shows that culturally diverse teams or workplaces would improve their profits by 35%. So having diversity... It's not just like a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And it's the profitable thing to do. So for businesses that are completely homogeneous in the kind of people that they hire, maybe, you know, like, you know, in terms of race, in terms of gender, there is a problem with that because eventually what's going to happen is your customers who are obviously are diverse, except if you're servicing only, you know, a particular demographic of the society. But your customers who may come from diverse backgrounds, when they can't see themselves reflected in your products, then they would leave. And eventually, if you don't hire diverse pool of candidates, then eventually the current staff that you have, they will get old and they will retire and then what's going to happen to your business. So you have to start thinking, we have to, as a society, start seeing this as our collective problem, you know, for women, for work. But even so, energy, the energy crisis, climate change. My story into climate change, alternative energy is an interesting one. It began at the age of 14. I was a member of a club called JETS Club, Junior Engineers, Technicians and Scientists Club back in Nigeria. It was in one of the schools I attended was a unity school, Federal Government Girls College Abloma. That was my high school. And we went to this company called Total Elf. It's an oil company. And we had this excursion. During that excursion to this company, they talked about oil spillage. They talked about gas flaring. It was the very first time I was hearing about those terms. And they talked about what crude oil was doing to the environment. Now, what's interesting is this is an oil company, right? Normally, you would think that they would hide the problem, but I really respected them because they owned the problem. They talked about it. And then what they did was it seemed more like a hackathon. 
And they put out the problem to us, 14-year-olds, and they told us, merge yourself in groups and come up with a solution. They gave us some ideas, and that was my first introduction into alternative energy. And from that moment, I told myself that I was going to be a part of the solution. Several things that came out of that particular one, it gave me a new career pathway. My dad wanted me to study medicine, which was interesting because after then, he actually enrolled me in university to study medicine. I changed to engineering without his knowledge, although he's a retired civil engineer. But the first thing he did for me was to give me a career pathway. The second thing was I saw leaders owning the problem and encouraging us young people to be part of the solution because they knew the effects of their previous or their actions had had on the environment and they wanted to do better. So what does that tell us? It tells us that, look, sometimes we may make mistakes. And as a matter of fact, we've made some mistakes with our environment, but we have an opportunity to correct it. How do we correct it? How do we think of the future of our cities? How do we design our future cities to be able to correct some of the mistakes that we've done in the past and that we are still doing, but to then ensure that our future generation would still have a home to live called heads? And everyone doesn't have to go to Mars and to go to the moon. All these brilliant moves to run away from the Earth. But this is our home and we have to take care of it. So these are some of the ways in which we can think about designing our future cities to be sustainable. But at the same time, to ensure that as we make the energy transition, we have skilled, equipped workforce that can carry out the jobs of the future. And we have to start looking at people who have been neglected, women, including women of color, women from cult. That's how I see it. So in your description, you seemed to propagate for a design of cities, which would correct past mistakes, but at the same time, building on those mistakes. Did I understand it correctly? Yes, that's part of the proposition. Wouldn't this result in strengthening those status quo? No, it wouldn't. We are going to become a world of 9 billion. We don't have enough resources at the moment to be able to mm. cater for that population. We have to think, what are some of the resistance that we are having to the energy transition? You know, some of the big giants, they are scared that, you know, some people think that they will lose their jobs and things like that. And it doesn't have to be that way. But yes, we can. At this particular point in time, 2023, no one can deny the effect of climate change. When I started talking about climate change and alternative energy, like I said, I was so young. It was maybe over 20 years ago. A lot of people just used to say, oh, yeah, it's a myth. Oh, yeah, da, da, da. But now we can see there's been a lot of changes in our environment for us to deny that there is no such thing as climate change. So let's get to that place first. The first place is acceptance of the problem, right? There is climate change. It's not a myth. There is global warming. It's not a myth. And the other acceptance or acknowledgement, rather, is to then think that, look, we need energy. None of us are going to go back to the ice age. <laughs> that's not going to happen. None of us are going to go back to the stone age. No, that's not going to happen. But we need energy. So, you know, in maths, we always think about when we want to solve a problem, you use the known to get to the unknown. 
So let's establish some known facts. These are some known facts, right? We would need energy to be able to cater for that number of people. We would need water to be able to cater for that number of people. We would need resources. We need food to be able to cater for that number of people. We need people, all hands to be on deck. So we need workers to be able to cater for that number of people. I'm trying to break it down now. But do we have to still continue damaging our environment? Because in spite of these resources that we need, we also need clean air to ensure that we are able to live and pass on knowledge to the next generation. But at the rate in which we are going, then if we keep going on like that, we don't know if we are going to be alive then to be able to pass on the knowledge or even at the rate in which we are generating waste. So that's what I'm saying, addressing the problem from various angles. And how do you change that? Then we have to start thinking inwards. So for example, with companies that are, let's say, producing oil, how do we make that transition smooth? How can we start thinking about renewable energy alternatives? Now, there is the argument that renewable energy is not going to meet the demand fossil fuels is currently filling in. But when we start to think about, again, that's because of the perceptions or the cons that people think that renewables present, right? For example, one of those, the biggest challenges is storage. Let's talk about storage. Some people say, oh, with solar energy, how you're able to generate energy during the day at night time, you can't generate energy, which is true. Although, as humans, we've come a very long way. We've come a long way through technology, through research, and we keep building on that. Right now, there are some research that is looking at ways of using infrared to generate energy at night. But let's also think about batteries. 70% of our land in Australia is arid, meaning it's uninhabited. Those are like perfect spots where we could actually have batteries. If we start thinking inwards, we can start investing now for the future. We're not going to live in all those places. That's not going to happen. We've got the landmass, and with a population of still under 27 million, We've got space to do that. We've got space to even become the renewable power of the world. Yes, we do, because we can solve the problem of storage by batteries. Now, the other problem that renewables pose is that sometimes they overgenerate energy. So it's kind of like optimizing energy generation. The other issue that it poses is waste heat. So then when you generate too much, then what happens is just goes back into the air. And then sometimes there's also the problem of not generating enough. Now we can also start thinking of co-generation strategies, how we can combine multiple renewable energy forms to achieve one goal. And then at the times when we generate too much, we save them in our batteries. At the times when we think we'll generate less, we use code. So it's really about challenging businesses to start thinking about the future. If we are keen and we are serious about the future, we would come up with solutions. None of us planned for COVID. (laughs) It's the most interesting analogy. None of us planned that there was going to be COVID. And normally, the rate at which we would come up with a vaccine, it would take years and years of research. 
But because that was an imminent problem that needed an imminent solution, we came up with solutions to tackle the problem. For a long time, we were encouraging companies to think about work in terms of flexibility, flexible work, you know, arrangement, part-time work, work share, work from home. And then all these businesses were saying, no, 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 we can't, we can't, we can't, because it had to do with women. And then COVID came and everyone had to work from, and all of a sudden we can now work from home. We now, you know, have flexible ways of doing things. So really it's about us being honest about the problem and genuinely thinking about our future, like future generation. What do we want them to have? That's why I bring the topic back to sustainability. So if we think sustainably, we would come up with solutions. So renewables will be at the forefront of the energy transition. I don't know if this makes sense. I think it does. I hope it would resonate with the people who can make those changes. You are so passionate about this whole sustainability and that there are solutions. We just need to honestly sit down and think and discuss the problems. Are you optimistic about we can solve this? Hmm. That's a very difficult question and a question that doesn't have a direct answer. I am optimistic in a sense because I think about the younger generation, there is a lot more awareness. That's one good thing that technology has done. Technology has increased our wealth of knowledge. I read about a time when not everyone had access to libraries, not everyone had access to go to school. Not everyone had the opportunity to be educated. I mean, it's still there. We still have that problem, but it's a lot better. And it's been mitigated to a large extent than it was in the olden days. When you think about, you know, like the younger generation, they're a lot more switched on. They're a lot more aware. They conduct personal research. So yes, I'm optimistic that with their zeal, with their passion, with their optimism, they would definitely want something better. And look, life is all about if we desire something long enough and we believe it long enough, even the universe would make way for us. I guess like their resilience eventually would make them to come up with solutions. I hope that we can come up with those solutions that we don't have to pass on that kind of burden and huge responsibility to their generation. But I'm also very optimistic for their generation. I hope that they can start to genuinely think of life beyond themselves and to think of what their actions are and to really understand that, look, we may have made mistakes in certain areas, but it doesn't end there. There's still an opportunity to fix it. There's still an opportunity to make it better. And that's really about how we choose to transition. So yes, I'm optimistic to some extent, but I do also, sometimes I'm also a bit concerned at the rate at which we are embracing this transformation. It can be better. Molly, you have been very generous with your time. Do you have any closing comments or requests for the audience? I'm very passionate about this subject. I'm passionate about renewable energy, the energy transition, climate change. I'm passionate about women in science, tech, engineering, maths. That's what I do. I have a company called iSTEMCO that enables employment for women in STEM, including women of color and women from CAL. I do a lot of consulting 
in the renewable energy space, advisory as well, strategies. So I'm open for consultations in renewable hydrogen production, microalgae generation, anaerobic digestion, biodiesel production from plant fuels. If you're interested in exploring this conversation or discussion for that, please get in touch. I'm very active on LinkedIn and I promise I will do my best. I'll get in touch if an email comes true. Well done, Fanny, for what you're doing. You're being part of the solution. So it's good to see what you're doing. And I hope that our government and the big players can really see this and treat it with urgency, with the urgency that it deserves. And for young people watching, I really urge you to consider a career in renewable energy. Morley, I appreciate your work. So thank you so much for your work and your time on the podcast. No worries. Thanks, Fran. It was really interesting to hear from Morley about the younger generation giving hope, not to mention her discussion on renewable energies. Matt Farrell also talked about the renewable energies in episode 120. You can find out more about Morley online. All the links are in the show notes. What was the most interesting part for you? What questions did arise regarding Molly's approach to the future of cities? What have you learned from this interview? Let me know on Twitter at WTF4Cities or on the WTF4Cities.com website where the transcripts and show notes are available. You can also subscribe on the website not to miss any new episodes and leave some feedback. I hope this was an interesting interview for you as well and thanks for tuning in. What is the future for cities podcast?